You're listening to The Burrow at Pittman Park. Find us online at www.pittmanpark.org. Let me ask that you remain standing for just a little bit. When we read the scripture together, there is an attentiveness that should be a part of of our lives to God speaking to us in new ways. And I hope that it will make you not just tired standing a little bit longer, but attentive. Listen carefully to the reading of God's holy word. This is taken from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Open your ears. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that same road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, And took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper and said take care of him. And when I come back I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You remember very well probably that Jesus began his ministry and he immediately grew in popularity. He invited 12 persons to specifically be his assistants. We call them disciples. But his popularity skyrocketed. It grew faster than anyone had anticipated, except maybe Jesus himself. Twelve were outstripped in terms of their abilities to do what seemed like an impossible task. 
And so Jesus called 70 close to him and sent them out to do his work. Now, the passage of Scripture that I've just read to you is preceded by those 70 that came back and reported to Jesus that unbelievable things were happening. The way in which it says here in the Scripture, it says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus responded, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Oh, his joy at hearing them say that their investment in his work was so engaging that they saw the inner workings of what was going on, the spirituality of what was going on. You see, I think that's what we miss at times. Jonathan and I have been spending a lot of time talking with each other. I don't know if y'all picked up on that, but when we get in a conversation, it's hard for that conversation to stop. In fact, he walked out of my office backwards like this the other day as we were talking, and I think it's just a connection that we have with each other. We're, we're starting up a sermon series right now that is intended to focus on verbs. Isn't that exciting? Laugh with me here, friends. <laughs> I, I know that you, you are loving the idea of us diagramming sentences and conjugating verbs and figuring out which are the dangling participles, all, all of this stuff. Jonathan and I wanted to share in this focus on the fact that that we as Christ's disciples, as Christ's chosen ones, are called to be busy with the work. A verb is an action word. Some people get it in their minds that they can be very sedate and in their being Christian. Jesus never called anybody that he did not send to do his work in some special way. Those 70 that were sent out were sent out with a mission to engage Satan directly. Evil in the world is everywhere. And in following Jesus' instruction, they saw that not only does Jesus send us out with these marching orders, but he also empowers us. And you see the effectiveness of those that will give themselves to following the instructions of being busy with the work of faith. You and I are fascinated with this story I am at least I know that you've heard it a hundred times if not a maybe a thousand times as you've been growing up but consider it with me again because it's a fascinating story Jesus was this teacher this rabbi and there were those others that were considered to be rabbis and teachers in his culture far more well-known to begin with than Jesus' popularity. 
But Jesus' rising fame caused them to have heartburn. The Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes. Let's talk about the scribes for just a minute. Because they are an interesting, interesting group. The scribes' main work was to simply copy down Scripture. In fact, Jesus and John the baptizer are said by some scholars to have done their seminary education work in a scriptorium that was located beside the Dead Sea. Now, how they figured all of this out, I don't know. But it's fascinating. In a community called Qumran, the Essenes were busy about the work of transcribing the Scripture. You think about how that affects you. I, I was, I, I sort of hate to admit it to you all, I have Yahoo as my homepage. What do y'all have? I, uh, my daughters think that is so dorky. I, um, they, they said, that's like having People Magazine as your homepage, Daddy. But I like it. I like all of those little stories that pop up. But one of those stories that popped up recently was interesting to me. Interesting to me. There was a man who set out to write the entirety of the Bible again. Did y'all catch that? He took, he took his King James Bible and he laid it on the table beside him. And volume after volume of these spiral-bound notebook paper, he got to the end of the book of Revelations. He had rewritten the entire Bible word for word. Now, can you imagine how that might have affected him? Can you imagine how much of the scripture that he took in, how much of the scripture he was able to remember because he had written it down? Think about this. For scribes that did this every day of their life, how much the scripture became a part of who they were. If you had a scripture question, who would you go to to answer the question? <laughs> You'd go to a scribe, wouldn't you? I mean, they were the lawyers of the day. They knew the Torah. They knew it backwards and forwards. They could quote it to you. They didn't have to look down and, and see on a page. They knew what it was. They knew the, the smallest detail of what was there. Meticulous with doing their work and committing it to memory. I think it was a scribe that came up to Jesus. It says, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus, but I think it was a scribe. Yeah. A scribe testing the waters of who Jesus was came and asked this Sunday school question. Let's see what this guy knows. <laughs> asked this Sunday school question of Jesus. Now, any good lawyer knows that you don't ask a question in court that you don't already know the answer for. Isn't that right? That's elementary in law school, what they teach you. As I understand it, you don't want to ask a question in court 
where you think there is uncertainty on the other end of what answer may come back. You want to ask a question that you know already the answer to. And so this lawyer stood up before Jesus, and he asked Jesus a question that he already knew the answer to. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so when Jesus responds to him, it's interesting because Jesus is a better lawyer than this lawyer was. Jesus turns the question. Who's asking questions? Jesus is asking questions now. He says, what's your read on this? I mean, you know the scripture. What's your read on this? And so when the man begins to respond, he spouts back to Jesus not only what he knows. Everybody knows this stuff. I mean, you know this stuff, don't you? This is not new to you. You know the answer. In fact, every Jewish family has it even to this day fastened to their doorways And those that are so faithful will come in and out, touching it just to remind them of the Shema. The Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right inside that little vessel that holds those precious words. Quoting from Deuteronomy 6. But also remembering that this is not just a vertical path, but it's a horizontal path long, long before Jesus. He didn't come up with this. Long, long before Jesus arrived on the scene, they had figured out that this was loving God and loving neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you want to check that reference out, it does not go simply back to Jesus. It goes back to Leviticus 19. Everybody knew this. This was Sunday school material. But then it's interesting because this lawyer makes the mistake of wanting to really look good. I wonder how many lawyers have gotten themselves in trouble by wanting to really look good good in court and they ask a question that they don't really know the answer to because this guy looked at Jesus and it says here this is fascinating it says here wanting to justify himself wanting wanting to be somebody in the crowd he looks at Jesus and he says okay so who is my neighbor now this was a gray area This was a gray area in his mind. I mean, this was good conversation with your colleagues. But why in the world did he let that slip out in public? Who's my neighbor? He knew all the legalese of what it meant to be a neighbor. Let me read for you this. I love Frederick Beekner's writings from years past. This is out of a book that he entitled Wishful Thinking. And he says that presumably what was going on in the mind of that lawyer that asked the question of Jesus was probably something like this. 
a neighbor, herein after referred to as the party of the first part, is to be construed as meaning a person of Jewish descent whose legal residence is within a radius of no more than three statute miles from one's own legal residence unless there is another person of Jewish descent, herein after to be referred to as the party of the second part, living closer to the party of the first part than one is himself, in which case the party of the second part is to be construed as neighbor to the party of the first part, and one is oneself relieved of all responsibility of any sort kind whatsoever. Have you got that clear? <laughs> Can you imagine what this lawyer was thinking when Jesus spoke to him and, and said, he began to tell this story. Jesus was thinking, okay, how do I handle this guy who's asking the questions? How do I handle this guy? Because he's only looking at it from one perspective. How do I handle this? And so he reaches into his narrative quiver and he shoots this arrow straight through his heart. And he tells this story about a guy who uh, not very far from here would have been traveling on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a treacherous path. There is a 1,500-foot drop in elevation. You can imagine that as you journey down, down, down to Jericho, that there are many places where you might better watch your footing. But you also are encountering so many places that robbers could be hidden away. And this particular fella got attacked by robbers. In fact, left half dead on the side of the road. When there were persons that began to come along the road as well. Now this sad Jew that got beaten half to death was lying there. He had been making his way, no doubt, to Jericho in order that he could avoid having to go through some territories that are really outland areas, particularly directly north of Jerusalem into the area called Samaria. They would avoid it with every ounce of their being. They didn't want to get and trapped in any kind of relationship with those dogs that lived up in Samaria. And so they would go over to Jericho and then travel up the Jordan River. A priest came by. He'd read his Bible. He saw the guy on the side of the road who was half dead. He thought to himself, it's not my responsibility, and I have important religious work to be done. I'll be on my way and tell someone at the next stop that he's back here, if they don't already know. But I'm sure they know. A guy who was raised among preachers, priests, came by this Levite he was still in the process of his ordination he came by and saw the situation he knew the scripture even better than the priest knew it 
He'd just gotten out of seminary. And he remembered in Leviticus 21 that he wasn't even to come near someone who was dead. And this guy wasn't even moving on the side of the road. There is no way that he was going to be implicated in having touched someone who was dead. And so pass by he does. But now get this. Because this is where Jesus turns it into more than just this moral story. He says there was this Samaritan that was journeying on the road. And as this Samaritan was journeying on the road, he sees the situation and goes over to help the man. And it was his compassion that was driving it. This deep gut commitment. Something that he could not control himself entirely. Have you ever seen a situation like that and felt that deep inner connection? Because of somebody else's pain. It is it's so interesting, you know. I, I heard this fellow telling that that he was in New York City visiting there some family and he made the mistake of stepping off of the curb when he should not have and if you can imagine the traffic there he said he said I got broadsided by a car he said it was awful He said, it knocked me flat. And I was laying there on the edge of the curb. I was laid out. He said, I could see what was going on around me. He said, and he said, I was conscious, but he said, I couldn't move. He said, I was laying there, sprawled out on the pavement. And he said, what happened was that immediately some people began to to move around me and start to keep people back. Get back. He said, he said, that was a good thing. I didn't get run over again. But he said, he said, what what happened was that we began this process of waiting for an ambulance to show up. He said, the entirety of the time, not a soul came over and knelt down beside me. People filing past on on the sidewalk and gawking at me, looking to see people standing at a difference, at a, at a distance with with a, a question in their mind: oh, How did this happen? They they didn't see it happen. They just wonder who this was. Wonder whether they were going to live or not. I suppose this guy was telling the story, and he said he said no one even came over and tried to lift my head up off the pavement. He said, I can remember my head was just hurting so bad from resting there on the pavement. He said, it never happened. The ambulance finally came and got me and took me off. But no one ever really reached down to help me in that situation. Sue and I have these conversations with her mother at times I hope that you'll get a chance to know her she is one saintly woman Margaret Bullington 
if Margaret Bullington ever hears about a situation of crisis, you know what she does? She does two things. One is that will just about shut down the conversation. She gets so teary. Her face squinches up. Tears begin to run down her cheeks. And she feels this heart-wrenching connection. She imagines herself into their situation. But not only that, she immediately begins to think through how she could be useful in helping. She reaches for a pocketbook. She picks up the telephone. She grabs her notepaper. She is always and constantly being pulled into service for the sake of God's work in the world. You and I have it wrong. We have it so wrong if we think that that Christianity is just this placard we hang in our lives. It's a way of living. You and I are called to be filled with compassion. The work that we do, it is work. It is work. Okay, these verbs are final instruction for us. When Jesus finished telling his story, he looked at the lawyer and others that he hoped would hear And he simply said, go and do. Now, strangely enough, this week, I have no doubt that God will put someone in your path. They they may not be laying half dead beside the road, but I guarantee you, God will put in your path someone who is in need. And you'll have a choice to walk by and ignore it or to really engage like this this scoundrel of a guy that Jesus said got it in his gut. He understood what God was about. And so, go and do. I give you that as Jesus' instruction.